Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tierney ou le grand pot pour Olivier Ferlon, qu'est-ce qu'il lui a fait là Qu'est-ce qu'il lui fait qu'il y a un Tierney Tierney, c'est quoi C'est quoi ça Il vient souhaiter une très bonne année aux supporters d'Arsenal Kieran Tierney, quel rush Magnifique Magnifique This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, as nearly always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, you're back. Good morning to you. Good morning to you too. I feel like I've been quite lucky, haven't I, in terms of what I've missed. I feel like I've sort of missed mm. a lot of the trauma right at the end of the season. I couldn't face it. I couldn't face the podcasting. Yeah, people have been wondering where you were. They thought maybe you had an accident. <laughs> they wondered if I, you know, you'd had a free transfer to Villarreal, something like that. Uh, but you've, yeah, you've been missed. So people have been concerned for your welfare. You should be. Oh, that's good. If I had had an accident, Arsenal probably would have been doing slightly better. Although actually, true. we have won some football matches um, in my absence. It's worth saying, including one against Chelsea, which. I did enjoy, but yeah, any old can beat Chelsea these days. In fairness, that's true. I mean, yeah, we we sparked you know the collapse of Tuchel's Chelsea, didn't we? I hope so. I hope so. There's still some way to go yet. Let's two more competitions. Let's not yeah. count our chickens on that one. Yeah. So you you've been fine. You've been you know otherwise engaged. Are you allowed to tell people what you've been doing or not? Because I've it's, been filming. It's different- quite exciting different acting jobs i think i'm not allowed to say okay I think i've signed things that say i'm not allowed to say okay but um that makes it sound maybe more exciting than it is that do you know what i mean that sounds like i'm really dropping in <laughs> that i'm the new marvel superhero or something like that i assure you that is not the case french but bulldog man french bulldog man what a superhero and what a sidekick <laughs> it would be would be carrying your french bulldog in a backpack solving oh, crimes man. fighting things with you know, do, does your French bulldog have a a? Does it do the screamy bark thing that a lot of French bulldogs do? <laughs> no, but I have seen that. I have seen that. Um, there's a great video on the internet of a French bulldog having its nails trimmed, and every time they come towards it with the nail trimmer, it screams like well, like a child, basically, yeah. like a human child. They do make some it, odd noises. But the backpack, I have to confess, was not my uh, idea. 
Right. The backpack was... My, my wife was concerned that this young puppy's joints were being subjected to too long a walk because the park is quite a far walk from our house. Right. And then you want to walk them around the park. So the backpack has been devised as a method to get the dog to the park. But this dog loves being in that backpack. It never wants to come out. Once it's in, it's like, why would I walk? You're literally carrying me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. Just feed me some grapes and fan me with, with palm leaves or whatever. I mean, like, that's basically the life this dog leaves. You know, she is um, pampered to the extreme. Oh, well, okay. Well, look, did you uh, did you watch the FA Cup final at the I weekend? Did. My brother was there, actually. Um, oh. He was among the evil Chelsea fans. It was quite confusing on the telly because every time they cut to the fans... It was all blue. It was just blue. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, you need to be aware of what colour your team's going to wear. If Arsenal knew they were playing in, say, yellow, I feel mm. like the fans would really reflect that. We've, we've done that. We've done that in the past, that's for sure. Exactly. So, um, yeah, he was there, um, went to get his COVID test the day before and, you know, was part of it all. And, mm. But um, I watched it on telly and I thoroughly enjoyed it, I have to say. I forgot it was on. And a lot of people did, you know, just turned it on. And then I thought it was starting at half five. And then I just didn't turn it on for a while uh, until I saw my timeline. I was just checking my phone and all I could see was like people going, Tielemans. I was like, <laughs> OK, I'll, I'll turn this on and see what's what. And then I watched the last whatever it was, 15 minutes or so, which, you know, turned out particularly enjoyable but there was <laughs> that there was that moment wasn't there where the ball was in the back of the net and i i looked at the replay i it didn't look offside to me <laughs> no but it was close <laughs> enough even, that you even thought, with var yeah i mean that is um cruel and funny isn't it at the same time mm. i mean they really thought my brother in fact people will enjoy this when he got home uh, he told me his voice was still hoarse from celebrating an equaliser that didn't that happen. never happened. Oh. Yeah. So maybe people are celebrating goals still in the era of VAR, but it, it was whisked away from them. I mean, all the drama was kind of in the last 15 minutes anyway. Mm. Kasper Schmeichel made a couple of really good saves. Wow, what a save that was from whoever it was. Mason Mount. Mason yeah, Mount. yeah. He hits it really well and Schmeichel makes a brilliant stop. And then you think Chelsea have equalised. And it's one of those where when a team gets an equaliser that late, yeah, you know, it just feels like all the momentum swings in their direction. You know, yeah. you're like, ah, that's that. And yeah, it was whipped away from me. It was, because I was thinking like, oh, I can't be fucking arse watching extra time now. No, no. I was quite happy to turn on for the last few minutes and watch Leicester win. Well, not necessarily watch Leicester win, watch Chelsea lose. Uh, but then when it went to, when it, I thought it went to 1-1, I was like, I don't know if I can subject myself to another half an hour of this, because can Leicester... You know, is the momentum truly with Chelsea? Are they going to, to do it? And then it was disallowed. And, you know, VAR is terrible. I will stand by that to my dying day. But it was really funny. It was really <laughs> funny. It was. But it's, can it's, I ask you this? Yeah, go on. How did, um, how did Leicester's success make you feel? I mean, look, listen, I know we've mm. won a few FA Cups in our time, but... Does what they're achieving currently make you reflect on Arsenal's underachievement? I think what, what, what it does is it brings into stark contrast the difference between the owners of the two clubs and the way that the two clubs are run. You know, Leicester, even if you think... I mean, when you think about what happened with the, with the title, 
I think what's forgotten in the midst of that is like how close they were to being relegated the previous season. Like, yeah. so close. And did they change manager? What happened? I can't remember exactly what happened, but they like had about seven games to save themselves and they did it by the skin of their teeth. And then the next season they became champions. And look, if you want to call it a fluke, you can call it a fluke. And a lot of things happened that season, as we know, as Arsenal fans, you know, that that could have set the title up for us as well, because Chelsea were terrible. City were terrible. Liverpool were terrible. United were terrible. We were, you know, we were okay. um, But but obviously had a period where we were terrible and the title got away from us. And Leicester did finish with whatever it was, 83 points, something like that. Mm -hmm. So... You know, you can dismiss it as a fluke. Is it maybe a once-in-a-lifetime thing? But nevertheless, on the basis of their performances, they did really well. Um, I think since then, to have sort of maintained their presence at the top end of the table is not a fluke, and it's not an accident. Because you you can't... I mean, consistency is the hardest thing to do in football. They They've bought well. They've sold well. Um, the owner, um, you know, the tragedy that happened with, with the owner and his son yeah. was there celebrating a, a, at the weekend. And that was really lovely to see. And, you know, I, I maybe, um, how do I say this? I don't know if they were like really big into football when they bought Leicester. I, do, mm-hmm. I don't know what their background was, you know. They could have been passionate football fans, so I'm not. I'm not here to do them a disservice. But it's unlikely I, they were passionate Leicester fans. That's yeah. for sure. So, but but what I mean, yeah, they've they've come to understand the club and its place in the community, and they've been involved. You know, obviously uh, from an executive level, but they've been there. They've been present as owners, right? Mm. So they've they've kind of understood what the the club is about and come to understand what the club is about. And and I think the fact that an owner is present is a really important part of of um, you know being custodianship is the wrong word, but being able to connect with the fans, being able to connect with the club and the community, and all of those kind of things. So. Their success, you know, you can't say it's by accident, it's by design. They seem to be a very well-run club, very smart in how they do transfer business. And, you know, they, the owners, it, it comes from the top. It must come from the top, from the owners. So that's where where my thoughts were with that, that, that it's in stark contrast to our owners who you know, have been hands-off and, and maybe that's what they thought people wanted. And I don't know. What what do you think about it? I mean... It I, I just makes me reflect on them being a very well-run club, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, you know, they don't have the kind of commercial revenue of an Arsenal. Um, and yet they're on course to finish above us for two consecutive seasons mm. now. They've bought and sold exceptionally well. If you think about, you know, the likes of Angola Kante, Riyad Mahrez, Harry Maguire, who they got the best part of eighty million for, Ben Chilwell. Chilwell yeah. I mean, the out, you know, the outlay on those players is pretty small, and the return is absolutely massive. If you look through their current team, I think uh, you know there's some really good examples of talent acquisition there. I mean, Telemans is one of the obvious ones, but there are others, you know, Fafana, if only we had bought a promising young French centre-half from St Etienne. <laughs> um, 
and uh, you know <laughs> soy and shoe there's plenty yeah. there's plenty uh, i also think it's important to say that not everything they do works and that we shouldn't kid ourselves that that's how it is at other clubs you know mm. arsenal uh, leicester buy players they spent 30 million or so on Iosi Perez. They spent 17 million on Dennis Pratt. Like there are mm. inevitably risks when you go for players at the younger age and some will push on and become the players you think they're going to be and some won't. That's fine. But I think if you are generally shopping in that sort of market, yeah. you kind of hedge your bets accordingly and you give yourself a chance of some working out. And I think Arsenal you know, could learn a lot from that. We're not asking for every signing mm. to be a Riyad Mahrez, you know. But, yeah. um, I mean, it, it was it, it, it was interesting watching them talk about Fofana in the post-game stuff and, and what a performance he had in the game yeah. and not think of Saliba. And mm-hmm. look, I'm not saying Saliba would have been the finished article or anything like it this season, but what it certainly does is make it very clear that he should be given an opportunity to play next season and develop at Arsenal. We paid nearly £30 million for this kid and he was, I think, considered the pick of the bunch from Saint-Étienne, like between himself and Fofana. I'm not dismissing Fofana's talent or anything like it, but I think if if people had been given a choice of one or the other, they would have picked Saliba because the the noise around him was a little bit louder, you know? Um, Yeah, it it was close. Yeah, It was close. Like when when Arsenal bought Saliba, certainly he was the stand-up candidate. By the end of Saliba's time with Saint-Étienne, there was another season, obviously, where he stayed on loan. I definitely think some people in France were saying... Maybe Fofana is has been superior in the in the last few months, but you know Saliba had injuries in that last season, as we know, and was a bit interrupted. I think, irrespective, your point stands. It does seem kind of absurd. He had another good game, I think, at the weekend for Nice. Saliba, um, mm. it, it does feel kind of frustrating. But maybe we're getting towards some sort of resolution there. I mean, we'll talk about David Luiz shortly, but um, yeah, I, I, I just I, I think. For a long time, Arsenal fans talked admiringly of Liverpool and it probably says something about how far we've fallen that now we're all looking at Leicester and casting envious glances at them. But there is something about, you're right, the ownership, their connection with the club. I mean, you know, it's it's so silly, but such small things. Like, on, doesn't the owner, Leicester owner, on his birthday every year, he, like, buys everyone in the ground a pint, essentially. Like, I know it's a tokenistic thing, but it does demonstrate... Um, mm. uh, you know, an understanding of the culture or an appreciation of the fans who actually yeah, turn up for games. It's a small gesture, but like, you know, who does that? Who does that? Yeah. Like, if you're determined to make a connection with the fans, and and they certainly were, you know, and success helps as well. Let's not ignore that. But yeah, look, you know, it's not that um, anyone expects Josh Kroenke to turn up at the Emirates and start handing out fucking hamburgers to people, but you know leopards and spots and all that kind of stuff but there are some there are some things we could learn and remember a few years ago Gazidis talking about how well you know if Leicester can win the league there's a model for Arsenal to follow um which was ludicrous at the time and in the context in which he said it it was ludicrous because it sort of ignored the 
the huge disparity in, in stature between the two clubs and, as you say, commercial income and, and gate revenue and all of those kind of things. Uh, I think it was maybe Arsenal were a year out of the Champions League at that point. So, you know, it, it, it felt ludicrous at the time. But there are certainly things we could look at, uh, the way that they do things and how they have done things that... Uh, if we want to put ourselves back on track, we could do we could do worse than just looking at what yeah. they're doing. I'm not saying copy them or anything like it, but we have to be aware that there are there are things we need to do and things we need to implement. And you know, if a club like Leicester can produce the kind of consistency they've produced in recruitment, in selling, in in league position, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there's no reason why we shouldn't be with all the Absolutely. resources we have. And I, and I do think recruitment is the key to it. I really do. You know, they've been incredibly effective in that department. And when you look at Arsenal's body of work over the last five years, you know, there's a lot more question marks there. Speaking of recruitment or lack of recruitment or what's the opposite of recruitment? What's the opposite? Uh, I don't know. Disrecruit. Disrecruitment. Disrecruitment. We're going to disrecruit... David Luiz in the summer. He will be disrecruited from Arsenal to go who knows where, who knows when, uh, but soon and for the rest of his life. Um, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on on that? I mean, there was there were a few stories during the rounds or like the story came out in various ways. One was that like Luiz told the club that he had no intention of signing a new contract Arsenal apparently hadn't offered a new contract. Louise was all concerned about the culture at the club, and that's the reason why he wasn't going to stay, etc., etc. So, I mean, what's your what's your uh, feeling about Louise going, and do you really care about how the decision was arrived at once that decision was arrived at? Yeah, I mean, it sounds fairly mutual to me in that Arsenal hadn't offered him a deal. He was presumably quite unhappy about having not been offered a deal and it suits him to go I imagine um, he's going to have an opportunity to move to get a, probably a longer contract maybe than he would at Arsenal I can't see how they would offer him anything more than 12 months if he goes somewhere else yeah. he might get a couple of years a couple of years maybe and that might make a bit of difference for him personally I think it's um you know, we were nearly in this position a, a year ago, weren't we? Where yeah. the deal was up and, you know, there were big questions then over whether Arsenal should extend it. And ultimately, I think an injury to Pablo Marie uh, proved the difference mm. after that opening game against Manchester City. And, and we kind of thought, I don't know if we can afford to let him go with all the fixtures we've got coming up. Yeah, um, I think now is the right time. It's, you know, just an obvious breaking point. I mean, it's literally the end of the contract. Mm. I don't think... The, the way I feel about it is Louise is clearly an important player to Arteta. He's been an important player to this Arsenal team. But if you can't break up and evolve a team when they're about to finish ninth or whatever it might be, when can you do it? Well, that's it. And like people talk about, well, he's one of the leaders and, you know, we, we'd have a leadership gap if he's gone. And, you know, by all accounts, his presence at the training ground has been pretty positive the young players like him he's got time for for young players and and all of that kind of stuff so you know that's nice uh, and it's nice to hear that you know there is uh, there are senior players at the club who have the time to to sort of mentor and advise the young players coming through guys who've been there done that worn the t-shirts etc etc you know that's great but 
we're still ninth mm-hmm. and have stagnated mm-hmm. with with these uh, in inverted commas leaders um so surely it is as you say the right time to make a change and and try something new yeah and i think he's missed according to transfer marks whoever it is i think he's missed 12 games due to injury this mm. season Granted, he had that big bang on the head, which sort of can't be helped and isn't necessarily a sign of any physical decline. But there have been, you know, particularly towards the end of the season, the odd kind of stop-start mm. and muscular problem here or there. And he's 34. You know, that's going to happen. I just think... It, I, I can't... I, I really do think he's a good player, you know, and he can be a really useful player at times. Um, but I think it's absolutely the right thing for Arsenal to move on. And I think that game time... Mm. as we've mentioned, would be so much better spent effectively on someone like William Saliba. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's the right time. The thing about Louise for me was like, it's when he's good, he's good. No two ways about it. But mm. you just never knew when. Three sendings off, you know, in his Arsenal uh, two years. I mean, I, I think he's done well. I think it's really hard, as we've seen this season, for a player to come in from a rival club and win people round and the fact that um, Louise has done that in spite of some pretty big errors I think most people sort of generally appreciate what he brings I think that is impressive Um, and he's a better player than I gave him credit for before he arrived at the club but I just there's no justification I can think of to think we should be handing out a new contract at this point. Well, that's it. I mean, look, we're 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 talking about being ruthless. Ruthless is not giving a 34 year old who is, as you say, a little bit error prone and uh, perhaps increasingly physically limited. I mean, that's just that's not a criticism of Louise. It's just the way it goes when you get to 34. Mm-hmm. Ruthless is saying, okay. Let's get that money off the wage bill and let's go in a different direction and let's rebuild. I mean, one of the other stories over the weekend was confirmation from elsewhere, from what you guys were reporting in The Athletic, that Willian is one of the players who wants to leave. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I ran something, didn't he, about Yeah. That. So I don't know how much of that is involved or how much is tied to david louise's decision uh, or the decision over david louise i might say because the Mm -hmm. two of them obviously are are friends from many years at chelsea and in brazil uh, the national team there um it is extremely helpful to us though if willian actively wants to leave isn't it it is and actually you know from the conversations i've had around it i think it's worth saying about Willian, it's not the case of a guy who um, is laughing all the way to the bank here. I think he has genuinely been pretty miserable about the way things have gone at Arsenal. Granted, a lot of that is on him. But I think um, it has affected him quite a lot. And I mm. think he wants to go. And I agree that's helpful. And I think he should go. And I think the, the best thing he can do in some ways to rescue his credibility mm. is to help make that happen I know footballers and their agents are not in the habit of losing money so I sincerely doubt he will lose any money because it very very rarely if ever happens um, but I hope some sort of deal can be cut and, and looking at the fact that you know the noises are out there that he wants to go looking at the fact that Arsenal in January showed a kind of ruthlessness um, 
and an ability to strike these accords when necessary. I hope that can be the case. I, I think it would just be the best thing for everybody at this stage, even if it costs Arsenal, you know, 50% or whatever it might. I mean, I just, it just feels like that's the other 50% is just going to be money wasted at, at the present time. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it is kind of mad to think that, look, we all had concerns over the length of the deal. Mm. when he signed and one of the one of the concerns I think the chief concern was like how do we get rid of him in the final year because I don't think anyone saw it going quite as badly as it has gone no Um, so it was like whoa 18 months two years in you know he's got a year left how do you shift him is that going to be a problem etc etc and here we are 12 months in and we're looking at a situation where we're going to have to financially contribute to his Disrecruitment, yeah, you know, yeah. and I, I know. think we've it, got it to, is galling. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, but when that, you make mistakes, you have to clean up the mess, you know. Well, that's true, and um, you know, I think we've got a similar situation maybe with Kalasinac in the summer, who's got a year left on his current deal, who's going to come back, who is surplus to requirements. Um, mm. We're going to have to disrecruit him and probably uh, incentivize his departure as well. So, yeah, it is, uh, you know, I think it's for the best for everyone if if Willian goes. And uh, I do wonder, you know, is is this a real lesson in transfer terms for Arsenal? Or do you think... I think it, it's a case study, isn't it? You know, uh, and you hope that it's being used as such. I also think... Um, uh, personally, if we break, uh, if we break, you know, if any agent has a number of players within a club, it creates a situation where that agent can wield a certain degree of influence. And in the case of Willian and David Luiz, you know, I think it would be no bad thing whatsoever to kind of break up that stable of players who operate under one agent. I just think that that situation has caused Arsenal mm. problems, um, less so of late. You know, I think it is notable that. Um, certain people have been less forthcoming in the public arena, and I think that <laughs> I don't think I don't think Arsenal would go back there. Um, I think that you know a line has sort of been drawn, but I also think it would be you know just quite good to move on from that because really mm. Arsenal haven't benefited from that relationship at all. Um, you know, I remember when Arsenal started signing kind of Jurabchin players, there was mm. always this idea of. Well, we do a few favours and then we'll get like the next big thing out of Brazil or something like it. And that just hasn't transpired. But that was um, always pie in the sky to me. It's like, oh, an agent yeah. will make you take a couple of duff players to give you first option on the jewel in his particular crown. I mean, that just sounds like fantasy, really. You know? Yeah. So like yeah. you do this for me. You take these kind of substandard average players and I will give you the next big thing. But like, really, there's, yeah, it doesn't work like that, does it? Because no, yeah, there are myriad reasons for these signings and why these signings happened. And, and you know, we could do them to death, but there isn't any, look, I'm not saying Arsenal have a solid recruitment plan or haven't had a, you know, or have had a solid recruitment plan, I should say, in the last little while, but surely no rational 
semi-intelligent football club could do business based on the idea that, right, well, we'll, we'll hobble ourselves a little bit in the hope that in two years' time, some 18-year-old wonder kid is going to come in and save the day. Yeah, I don't think it, the relationships ever work on the, that sort no. of transactional basis of, you know, tit for tat. I do think, obviously, if you have a if you foster a good relationship with an agent and it then transpires they have a client you're interested in, that can be beneficial. Yeah. Um, but that hasn't proven to be the case. In fairness, you know, I do think, as we were saying earlier, that on balance, David Luiz hasn't been a bad signing for Arsenal. Yeah. Do, do you contest that? Because you could say, I see the point of, well, there's no return financially on it. Yeah. But in terms of his performances, I think... I mean, look, he he played a big part in winning us, in helping us win the FA Cup. So I'm not going to take that away. I think he was good in those big games against City and against against Chelsea. There's no question about that. Um... Could we have won those games without him? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I don't think he was the the key to those games. I would say on balance, the Louise thing was a, uh, it, it was because we made such a mess of what came before because of what happened with Koscielny. Yeah, of course. We backed ourselves into a corner and whether it was, I don't want to be too cynical about whether it was deliberate or not that Louise was the guy we brought in to, to, to replace Koscielny and we, you know, whatever happened there. Was he a good signing for us? I mean, I don't think so. You know, I can see the positive aspects of, of him and, and some of the performances, but overall, I think it was an easy option, and that's being diplomatic about it, an expensive option, and I do wonder if a smarter football club might have done things differently. I don't. It's not that I hate David yeah. Luiz or anything like it, and like I said, I can see where you're coming from, but I just think it is emblematic of the way this club has been run over the last number of years that... We signed David Luiz. Like, mm. I remember, um, I think I was doing the preseason podcast, just finished doing the preseason podcast with Ken Early. And the two of us saw the news and were just like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, literally, <laughs> yeah. like, I can't believe this. And we we talk ourselves, and I think it's understandable to an extent, we talk ourselves into looking at things from a from the positive angle because that you know nobody wants to be super negative all the time and you're thinking well okay he's experienced he played in the premier league he can do this he can do that but really if you're to go back in time and think could you have gone a different direction could you have taken a different turn there could you have managed the kashalny situation better to the point where a guy who whatever you think of what he did like put his body on the line for the club for nine years and basically went on strike to get the fuck out of Dodge. What happened to make him do that? Why was he driven to doing something so out of character for him? Because that's not Koscielny, right? Nobody would have expected that from him. So I'm, I'm, I'm going back a little bit, but I do think it's a consequence of, of how we have been run. And the fact that we ended up with David Luiz 
tells you that the decision making at the top of this football club has not been good enough. So yeah, that would be my outlook on that. I think I think I can completely see where you're coming from, and I think it's a pretty cogent case. Um, I suppose what I would say on Louise is I think there is at least a debate to be had about that deal, whereas the other two deals we've done with that agent, I think probably everyone would have consensus that they were yeah. have not been beneficial. I mean, Arsenal opened the... I don't like the word term super agent, but Arsenal opened the door to a super agent. Well, didn't just open the door. They sort of had him, you know... In the director's box. Crumpets. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't think it's been beneficial, uh, no. really, overall. Um, and that's not to say you shouldn't deal with agents... You know, you have to. And if you want to get the best players, you've often got to deal with higher profile agents. But I, I do think Arsenal's recruitment over the last mm. few years, it doesn't bear a huge amount of scrutiny. Yeah. Um, okay, so that that brings me to this. And we did a couple of questions and considering it's a, not a... Because we've had an Arsenal-free weekend, we're not talking about mm. a game. So we'll do some questions uh, in both parts. So um, Michael, who's at Euler56 said, Are Arsenal lazy? A lot of moves seem to be the easy moves, not the best moves. Hires for important positions on the business side or normally are normally internal. Transfers like Bertrand and Willian are easy. And where is the other one here? Uh, it comes from the Gooner Talk at the Gooner Talk TV. Regarding the links to Bertrand, do you look at interest in him as a failure to move away from the mistakes of signing 30 plus players from Premier League sides on sizable wages or dependent on contract length, savvy business to get in a free, decent quality Kieran Tierney cover? So where's your, where's your transfer radar ticking towards when it comes to the, the links to Ryan Bertrand? This is what I think about that one. If Arsenal sign Ryan Bertrand this summer, they have fucked up, and this is why. Because in January, all the noise coming out of Arsenal suggested the reason we are not doing a left-back is because we intend to do a younger left-back, someone who can you know, push and rival Kieran Tierney in the longer term, and that is the kind of deal we can only do in the summer. And that essentially is why they didn't sign a left-back. Mm. If they wanted Ryan Bertrand, given that Southampton are sort of headed for mid-table, irrespective of what happened, six months from the end of his contract, they probably could have taken him in January. And, you know, everybody knew he was available. Everybody knew he wasn't going to be signing an extension. Mm. That was a deal that, you know, you might have had to pay a little bit, but that was a deal that was there to be done. In the same way they took Cedric... Um, a year, a couple of years before. Mm. So that would be my concern because not having a left-back cost Arsenal dear, as we know, in the yeah. Europa League semi-finals. So if we didn't have a left-back only to then go back and get Bertrand, that's very, very confusing to me. Right. But um, what do I think about the signing kind of in its own right? Uh I'm a little bit sceptical about it for the, for the reasons that I've laid out in that I think Arsenal had other targets for that left-back position. It wouldn't surprise me if Go he's on. on a list, you know? Mm. But I'd be surprised if he's option number one or number two. I just was, uh, interestingly, because I've seen us linked to that guy at Hibernian. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know his name off the top of my head. Josh Doig. Doig? Doig. Doig. Josh Doig. 
Anyway. Yeah, he's highly rated. He's got admirers. Shares the same agent as Ryan Bertrand. 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 How do we... Bertrand? Bert. I don't know. Bertrand, Bertrand, I think. Bertrand. So they share the same agent. I French when he was a kid at Chelsea. Yeah. Bertrand. Bertrand. Um, So maybe there's, you know, a little bit of agent crossover confusion going on here. Um, I, you know, personally, I, I, I think if we sign another 30 plus average player with a link to Chelsea, I might scream. <laughs> I might just scream. I hadn't even thought about the Chelsea. Yeah. Thing. I mean, come on. We've had enough. There've been Are enough we examples sign Jody of Morris it? to fix our midfield problem. <laughs> Dennis Wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I just yeah, I mean the thing is in isolation, uh, so you'd say average player. I'd say he's a, he's an okay player. Yeah, average he, player. He, he, average he Premier be, League player, yeah. Yeah, like he would be a if he was 20 Four, and we signed him as a backup left back. I'd be like, that's okay. Uh, but the thing is, with these deals, you can justify them all in isolation. You can you can say, yeah, oh, I can see a logic for David Luiz, or I can see a logic for Cedric, or I can see a logic for you know William, or I can yeah. see a logic for Abameyang three year contract, whatever it might be. Mm. But I just think we've sort of reached our saturation point with these kinds of decisions. You know, correct. Start learning lessons again. Coming back to the being ruthless thing, um, that's not that's not ruthless. That's not a ruthless way to to operate. Is to give a guy who's going to be thirty two when the season starts. Maybe you just give him a one year deal. And like again, in isolation, you could probably make a case for Bertrand to be understudy to Kieran Tierney, who you hope is going to be fit for 30, 32 Premier League games, right? Because if you have a backup, you can maybe rest him for a couple of games here and there, and, you know, therefore you don't overburden him and everything else. Uh, you know, his experience, he's Premier League, he's free, you give him a one-year deal, etc., etc. You know, he's homegrown, and that is a consideration yeah. when it comes to our transfer business this summer. You know... It's but like um, the the first uh, question there from Michael. It's easy slash lazy, you know. Do you think it's lazy? I, I think it's not laziness. It's poor planning. That's how I see it. Like, and, and is I that see... not lazy? Is that not doing the work though? I mean, if if poor planning is just, is that not another way of saying you haven't put in sufficient time and resources into? squad building or scouting or recruitment or analysis of potential left-back targets, that this is the best you can come up with. I mean, look, there's got to be... I know we have... Uh, George Burr did an article today on, on Arsblog News about how if we are bringing in a left-back, it's got to be a signing because we don't have anything yet at academy level. Nobody is ready to make the step up. Right, mm-hmm. um, Joel Lopez. Joel Lopez hasn't quite. Boy. Yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't developed into what we hoped he might become. So he's not ready to be that guy for us. So we've got to make a signing. So are you telling me that of all the footballers in all the football clubs in all the world, whether it's Premier League or the Championship or you know wherever? I know there are issues now with Brexit and work permits and all that kind of stuff, but still. You can't look to the championship, maybe, and find a young guy or, you know, 
It, to me, it, yeah, it, it like feels so. like it feels lazy. When, when I say poor planning, I think mm. what I mean, and the reason I don't think it's purely lazy is that there has been a lot of disruption at Arsenal. So you think it's lot- like, okay, here's a solution. We've got to concentrate on more pressing matters. Let's agree on this. It's not great, but we can live with it. That kind of thing? Kind of, or like, you know, there's a change at head coach and it means different targets are required or Raul leaves and Edu's panicked and yeah. has to do this and that. Yeah, I, I just think Arsenal's not been a stable environment for people to put in kind of mid to long-term mm. planning. And that's actually one of the reasons that I kind of, as much as I have concerns about the current setup, I, I do kind of think at some point we've got to stick with something just to see if, uh, you know, we can actually let some plans play out. Mm. I, I, if they're there, I really hope they are. Listening to you talk about the homegrown thing. I mean, Ryan Bertrand has been linked with Man City quite a lot as well. You know, he, he might get himself quite a nice move this summer. If he is on Arsenal's list, that's the only possible justification I can find for it. If they're like, the well, we know, yeah, yeah, like if we know we need a keeper, a midfielder, a, a, you know, a right back, a left back, and all those targets for some reason, apart from left back, are non homegrown, mm. maybe they're like from a quota perspective this is required but i would still feel uncomfortable with it and i and i think he's a, i think he's a, a better player than than probably than you do but i would still feel i think he's fine i think like he's a perfectly serviceable premier league player just like cedric who mm-hmm. now is what what is he what is well, what it, is yeah. cedric now other than a, like a fucking walking art installation you know, and that's the thing. I mean, we—you put a player. He was—he was younger than Patron by th- yeah. three or four years when we signed him. But we've put him on good money and a decent long-term deal. You can't and, uh, sign. You can't sign uh, Bertrand, 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 Bertie. You can't sign that guy and also keep Cedric, can you? How do you get rid of no, Cedric? But, but what can you get for Cedric? Like, you know, I remember a time when Arsenal, because of his age and his nationality, were turning down, you know, five million pound bids for Carl Jenkinson. Um, you're not going to get that for Cedric. If you, it, You'd do well to get someone mm. to take Cedric off your hands, personally, I think. Like, I, I don't, I think you'd be talking a minimal fee, really. So, yeah, I, I, for the, all the reasons we've outlined, I really hope that's not the way Arsenal go. And and in fairness, that's what I've heard. Mm. That Arsenal are looking at a younger profile, not just at left back, but generally in terms of the squad. And it has to be the case, right? It would be insanity to do anything else. Agree. Which is why <laughs> which is which is why I think all of us have this collective yeah, you know, there, I mean, why wouldn't we be f- afraid of Arsenal doing a deal like this? Because we do deals like this. We have a track record of doing deals like this. And until such time as we stop doing deals like this for a prolonged period of time, at which point we can look back and say, hey, remember when we stopped doing that stupid stuff? We are going to be living in fear of us doing the stupid stuff. Of course. And and that's why mm. something like Willian needs to be a case study, needs to be... I, 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 Amy Lawrence said something really interesting. I can't remember if she said it on a podcast or she said it just in conversation, but we were talking about this season and mm. what needs to happen at the end of it. And she sort of said, you know, 
people like Edu and Mikel Arteta, I think she wrote this as well, Arsenal are within their rights to keep them, but only if they've been through a kind of thorough process. So, you know, at the end of the season, Edu, for example, as mm. technical director, should be called into a meeting with the board, and people will question, of course, the authority or the football expertise of the board to have this conversation, and be made to explain why did we do that? Mm. What can we learn from it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Explain to us the logic of Willian, and now tell us why it hasn't worked, and now tell us what we're going to do in future to, to avoid situations yeah. like that. Exactly. Like you know, uh, performance you have to review. To, exactly. There needs to be the most thorough, thorough performance review. And the same applies to Mikel Arteta. You know, what was your plan for the team this season? What? How were we going to play? Mm. Why didn't we do it? What, you know, what can we learn? How are we going to change things going forward yeah, so yeah, that yeah. we're more successful? I, I don't think... I'm not of the mind that these people can't get better. I think when you hire inexperienced people, you have to believe that they can get better. But there need to be... There needs to be a degree of interrogation of, of why we've failed and a clear mm. indication that we're learning from it. I think it's so important. Yeah. I, I Again, I can't disagree. I just wonder if those things are in place. Um, yeah, I mean, do you think the board... Uh, do you think the composition of the board means that they can have this? I mean, I, I have to think that, like, even if there isn't sort of like the the... An ex-player. Yeah, but you know when you you know when you um, you're in a job and like there is that boss figure and you're called into the boss's office to discuss your performance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, mm. You know, uh, thankfully that's not something uh, I have to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I've been there in the past. You know, as as on both sides of that table. But yeah, I've had to learn to do it recently mm. with the athletic, and I, you have to sort of assess you know how you think you've done what are your weak what are your weaknesses well i'm a bit of a perfectionist what can i (laughs) (laughs) i see you see my report card (laughs) but you know i i just wonder if there is rather than that um one guy interrogating each individual i wonder is there a a more collaborative situation going on like are Edu, Arteta, Mertesacker, Dickie Garlic, now that he's yeah. arrived, Tim Lewis, Vinay, are they all sitting around the table together and saying, right, what were the achieve what were the goals for this season? What were we trying to achieve? What did we achieve? What didn't we? Why didn't we? How are we gonna fix it? What are we gonna do? Etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I have to believe that stuff like that is going on at least. Whether that's the healthiest yeah. way for it to happen, I don't know. But, but you know, it can't be just a case that people are coming in and going, morning, yeah, grand, we lost 5-0 last night. Yeah, we'll just go to, you know, yeah. there has to and be some measure. And they're not going to present of, that yeah. process to us externally. Yeah. They're going to continue to stand by their decisions. You just want you just want to feel like, mm. internally at least, there's that, that reflection um, and that we learn from our mistakes because that's, been the frustrating thing about Arsenal that it's felt like we never do are you confident <laughs> am I confident uh, be ex- I would say be excited <laughs> um, yeah. I, I am not confident but football is beautiful because 
every 12 months you kind of pull the arm on the roulette machine and mm. maybe just maybe you get a win and something which changes the fortunes of your club um three oranges I, that's what we need three that's oranges what we need three oranges at the back yeah this season we've had a lemon a pear and a steaming turd <laughs> Yeah, and we need three oranges. <laughs> well, if we can only get three oranges, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I am the optimistic in the way every football fan is optimistic. If you see what I mean, I do. All right, look, I think we should take a break here um, because we've got questions. So we'll come back and and do those. Uh, but for now, grab a couple. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com welcome back to the arsecast extra this is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on twitter at gunnerblog and at arseblog and also on the arseblog discord chat server which you get access to if you are an arseblog member on patreon james i was sort of expecting a lot of questions or certainly a number of questions about daniel Eck and mm. the statement that he released over the weekend and as you just said off air, it's quite interesting that we don't have many. In fact, I think yeah. there was one question, if you, if I can find it here, from James Housen, who's uh, at Big Jimmy underscore V, who said, on the back of Daniel X's recently well-timed post after the FA Cup final, he said, the Cronkies rejected his offer saying they don't need the money. Strangely, the club uh, reportedly uh, rejected that a bid took place. What will it take for these guys to leave? I assume he's talking about uh, the Cronkies the and KSE. But, but like, what did you make of what happened? There was there seemed to be like a preemptive denial from Arsenal that any bid had taken place, and then Eck came out to say, "Well, actually, we did submit a bid. They turned it down. Said we don't need the money. So, you know." If they change their minds, I'm here. It, yeah. it was all a bit odd. Yeah, I mean, what I would have to say about did he or did he not bid is that I don't know enough about the actual mechanics of how a deal like this would work. So maybe, you know, you could make an inquiry and the Cronkies could say, well, it wasn't actually a formal offer, mm. therefore we don't acknowledge it. I, I don't know, to be honest. You'd have to ask someone more au fait with that world. It is... Uh, I, I guess that the decision to come out publicly for Daniel Ek is again a sort of attempt to kind of maybe rally support from fans. And I think that's mm -hmm. clearly been the modus operandi from the start. If you look at the way this is played on social media and the fact that he's, you know, looked to attach some big, big players, you know, to the bid in quite non-specific mm. roles. I actually think maybe he's underestimated 
Arsenal fans a little bit in that respect. I think most Arsenal fans have kind of seen through that a little bit um, mm. and seen it for what it is, which feels like a very PR-led thing and not something that that anyone's inclined to take hugely seriously. I don't I don't want to speak for all supporters because I'm sure there are people who are really behind Daniel Ek as well. But I, I think some of the big PR moves haven't quite played as well as they might have hoped, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's... I do think it's a little bit odd that given the names of Patrick Vieira and Dennis Bergkamp were attached to this, yeah. that we haven't heard anything from either of them. Thierry Henry has been... I think you'd probably say Thierry Henry is more media savvy, right? Yeah, he's then, not shy, is he? Yeah. And, I mean, Dennis Bergkamp yeah, like doesn't really talk well. a great deal. He doesn't do too many interviews. Um, you know, he seems happy to keep himself to himself. Patrick Vieira as a manager, obviously has a public profile, but but I just think it is a little bit strange that if they were actually genuinely attached, that they haven't said anything, even a quote. You know, they don't have just, to sit yeah, down yeah, and do a, a fucking Frost bit. versus Nixon kind of interview, but but nothing at all. And I do I also think it's quite interesting that that X statement in which he said, like, if they ever change their mind, I'm available. Mm. Last week, he's saying this is going to be a long process. You know, we're here for the journey or whatever it was. Those, they don't really add up. No, I mean, I think the reason that we've had so few questions about it is that people have seen that statement mm. and thought, well, that's that. Because, you know, I respect their decision, but remain interested and available should that situation ever change. Mm. It's, I mean, to me, that's putting the ball in the Cronkies' court. And I can tell you now, they ain't going to be knocking it back over the fence. No, they're just keeping the ball. Yeah, <laughs> they're keeping it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I don't hold out a great degree of hope. I, I suppose one interpretation of the Vieira Burkamp thing could be if Ek really does believe this is a long game and he's going to kind of spread those mm. uh, declarations of support out at sort of appropriate moments to kind of engender mm. positive fan sentiment. But again, that statement just to me feels like, you know, when Arsenal used to sort of go after top players and then Arsene Wenger would do a press conference explaining why they were too expensive. It was it's like that thing mm. of like, we tried it just has that slight whiff of that about it. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess I've always been a little bit sceptical just about the way this bid um, sort of marketed itself almost. You know, I, I, I always thought, I don't know, this doesn't feel like yeah. it. Um, no. It, it, I, I, I may be proven wrong. I don't know. We could be completely wrong. But for me, there the just hasn't been the credibility or the substance to this that you would expect for the kind of transaction we're talking about a two billion pound asset you know moving from um you know an owner who does not sell and has never sold any of his in inverted commas franchises um you know he says he has the money but where does the money come from he said it wasn't going to be leveraged on the club but you know what's it leveraged on you know, I know you can't go into all the details of it, but to me, it just always felt a little bit opportunistic and not necessarily, not really credible. I'll be 
you know, if we're proven wrong, we're proven wrong. But that's just kind of how I feel about it. What do you make of the uh, the tweet over the weekend from uh, the AFC Bell, who, of course, was uh, bang on the money regarding Thomas Partey, who, who said, those close to Kroenke who held senior positions in the sports establishment and who are still in contact with him tell something in Arabic, I presume it's the AFC Bell, the family is striving to heal the rift with the discontented segment of the masses, and there is a serious intention to do something exceptional this summer. Are you holding your breath? I, I would say be excited. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, listen, if the bell says it, it's got to be true. Um, but, you know, uh, I, they have to do something exceptional. Arsenal don't have any money. So... Mm. If they're going to buy any players, it's something exceptional is going to have to happen somewhere along the line. Um, I, I think that this is what I hope that the Cronkies recognise a little bit like they did uh, in the previous summer window with Thomas Partey that there is actually an opportunity here for Arsenal. There are a lot of clubs who are skin who don't have backers nearly as wealthy as the Cronkies are. They're extraordinarily insulated mm. against this degree of financial crisis. They can quite easily put their hand in their pocket um, and help the team mm. kind of shortcut the the mountain they have to climb. I hope they do, and I'm. I, I think I am. I think I am actually optimistic about that. Maybe I'm being naive, but I, I do think I do think they will um, enable Arsenal to spend. I don't know exactly how. That will work financially, but what do you think? I mean, Arteta sounds like he's pretty he's sure bullish. he's going to get some backing from the owners. Now, maybe it's a case he's saying it to put pressure on them, or maybe it's because they've told him. I don't quite know, but he, he certainly sounds it. I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. That's the right position to take. I think sure. so. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I mean, one of the things that, that X said in his statement was that you know, he was willing to do fan ownership and yeah. have fan representation on the board and give the golden share, et cetera, et cetera, which again, you know. Too good to be true? Yeah. It did sound a little bit too good to be true to me. It was like, I would have given you all these things that you wanted. I'm, I just, you know, I don't quite know that I that's mean, maybe possible. He maybe he would have. Arsenal yeah. was such a good asset to have. Like, oh, you listen, know. If, you want to, if, you, if you are going to buy it, if you do some of those things, you immediately make yourself extremely popular with fans, right? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? So, but I, I think it's easy to promise when you, when you don't have to deliver. That's just sort of where I am with that. But we had a question from Tokyo Gooner. Is that Tokyo underscore Gooner? Uh, and there's a lot of talk about fan representation. I think Chelsea announced that they're going to have fan representation at board level. Uh, maybe Spurs did Spurs, too. Yeah. Um, don't know that we want to be copying that. Now, but he said, what do you think the demerit of fan representation uh, on the board of directors of a club? I mean, is it anything other than window dressing? Well, I think in the case of Chelsea, you know, those um, supporters are all obviously signed to like NDAs. So it's not as if there's going to be, I may, correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone out there knows differently, but from how I understood it, 
Um, they're not going to be in kind of every board meeting and even the ones they're in, there's obviously has to be a degree of privacy around that. Yeah. So it's not like there's going to be completely open dialogue between supporters and fans. I think one of the concerns people have is, do how can I put it? Do you end up kind of creating a hierarchy among supporters, you know, and do does it benefit, you know, the people who get to be in the room, but maybe not everybody else? Um, that's one of the concerns that I've heard f- floated. I-, I think it would be good. I don't see what I personally, I don't really see what harm it can do. I don't know how much good it can do, but I don't know what harm it can do. Mm. Do you? Can you think of anything? I guess the only thing I can think of is like how how is it decided who represents the fans? Because yeah. there are so many disparate it, factions it's very dangerous within a to talk fan about base. fans, isn't it? Like yeah. it's one entity. It I is. Mean, I mean, look, there are many official Arsenal supporters groups uh, locally and around the world. There are fan representative groups, and I think. I'm not trying to um, dismiss any of this, but I I think they all have their own specific outlook. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to use the word agenda because that sounds very loaded, but you know what I mean? But they all have certain things that they're passionate about and that they will campaign for, or that they think is a priority. So, you know, what, what the AST consider issue number one, uh, Arsenal Independent Supporters Association exactly. might consider number three and Black Scarf might consider Scarf number five and yeah. Red Action have a completely different idea about what's important to all of those. You know what I mean? So those are the, the again, this isn't to be, I'm just saying that this is the reality. So who decides who is going to be on the board to represent the interest of fans mm. or to put across the 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 point of view of a fan outside of those ag- agendas again it's the wrong word but you know what i mean like you're well, going think, at something have have- you're going at something with 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 your own opinion or a preconceived notion of of something or is there a is there a referendum among the fans so that the representative his or her personal opinion isn't what counts it is the the opinion of x amount of fans and how then how do you actually how do you decide that or or come to exactly, that conclusion yeah. that's that's the difficulty i see with it is that you know you think one thing i think another thing him down sure. the road he thinks another thing if we get you on the board you know we'll be re-signing philippe sendros to play center half and if i'm on the board i'll <laughs> build a statue of my favourite striker, Emmanuel Adebayor. There are all these problems. (laughs) So I think, I actually think that if you were going to do it, you'd have to have some sort of democratic process. You'd have to have elected Arsenal fans. Oh my God, elections. That certainly doesn't bring out the worst in people. (laughs) But isn't that the the supposed idea of democracy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You select people who are prepared to fight for the issues that, you know, you care about. Mm. Um, I mean, imagine that process. But, you know, I guess... Make Arsenal great again. Fuck me. If you think about the Spanish clubs, you know, they work on a kind of electoral basis. Maybe there would be a degree of that. I have no idea how it practically works, but you, you raise a good point. Like, there is no... I mean, ask, you know, 
the AST are, I think, maybe the foremost Arsenal fan group, and they seem to be the one most involved uh, in these sort of high-level discussions, be it with Arsenal, be it with the government. But again, they um, only represent their members, and I don't know what the membership is of the, the AST, a couple of thousand? Yeah, maybe? certainly not as many as, as the members of Arsenal. Yeah. No. So, although they have grown a lot recently, I understand. No, I, I get it, but it's still, it's still, they're, they're only representative of their own members. That's what they do, yeah, yeah, that yeah. They, they work on behalf of the interests or, or the concerns of their own members. Um, I guess what I'm proposing, and I think it sounds like a dy- sort of dystopian nightmare probably, but is that the Arsenal members would have to hold some sort of, some sort of vote. I could, that's the only way I can think that it would work. Um, but, Maybe, but do you yeah. think it? Do you think it would work? Like, do you do you look? Here's do you what, believe in it. Do I believe in it? It's not a question of. I just. I kind of feel like. Look, I think there's two separate things in a way. One is like the interests of fans in general, mm. and and how football fans are treated by the game itself by the authorities and I do think there's a great power as we've seen of late when there is some unity and solidarity among football fans you know to address the wider issues of the game one of the reasons you might say you have a fan at board level is so um, the club understands what it is that fans are thinking Mm-hmm. Right, so when they make a decision, it's not that the fan can veto it, but it's like we un- we understand how how they feel about this. They've they're in the board meeting. They're saying, "Look, this is the way that this is going to go down with with the fans if you do this X, Y, or mm-hmm. Z." But I also think that's kind of already there at Arsenal in a way because they do have these regular fan forum meetings. Like the club do engage with fans on that level. Yeah, they right? know how they're being talked about, I imagine. Exactly. They're not blind to what is said on social media, on podcasts, on, you know, they they have various ways of of understanding what and how fans are feeling. They mm-hmm. They do know that, you know. So I just, yeah... I, like I said, I just wonder. I mean, there are people at the football club. Edu has been there as a player and now as an executive. And Mikel Arteta was a captain and is now the manager. And Per Mertesacker was the captain and is yeah. now the head of the academy. So I tell you look, something I, interesting about um, Tim Lewis. Do so. Tim Lewis is an Arsenal fan, mm. um, and. When you speak to certain people, they'll say, oh, it's great. You know, he gets the club and, uh, you know, that that helps him. Mm. His detractors, of which he does have some, everyone's got enemies in football, will say he's just a fan. You know, he's up when, he's up when they win, he's down when they lose. Mm. And he's affected by it emotionally because he's a supporter. And some people will say that's not helpful. Like, I don't at, know. At, at board level, you need cold fucking... Yeah. Yeah, but is that not... Does that not then play into, for example, a decision like, 
letting 55 people go at the start of a pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. That's a cold-hearted business decision, but it's it's not aligned with the with the values that we hope the club will have. Even if there's really good reason for 55 jobs to go, and I'm not saying that there were, it mm. feels particularly at odds with how we expect our football club to to operate and to behave you know the 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 supposed class etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah you know there there's the other side of that one it yeah, is a yeah. tricky and, one, and isn't i'm it? not sure yeah. I, yeah i'm not sure like that's just an individual case and like i said my broad opinion is i don't see how it can hurt to have those views reflected if you can find a way for those views to be properly reflected i mean but what do the fans want if there's a board meeting tomorrow should we sack Nicola Tetti yes or no you know what do the fans want it's difficult isn't well, it well fans can, fans i don't think should be involved in that kind of decision making no like fans I can always make their opinions known you know and when fans are back in the ground we've got planes for a reason yeah. we've got planes and banners for a reason guys but but you know um yeah it, it's it's just the, the the practicalities of it that that baffle me as to how it can actually happen, and who does it, and then who does it without being like hated by half the Arsenal fans? Because well, that, you, that know, you can envisage, can't you? Some you know Arsenal get a fan representative, and they're just characterised as. Yeah, a bit of a shill to the owners, and of course they probably don't have much real power. No, so no power, yeah. literally no power. So that's what I mean when I said about it being window dressing earlier. Like, do we do we not have to think that these people who are in charge of the football club who who must and and look to be fair to Mikel Arteta, he said it more than once. That he understands that the that where we are and what we're doing is well below what what is expected of Arsenal. Mm. Like, do we be, do we think they don't get what Arsenal should be because we're failing right now? Is is, is all it takes for someone to come in and remind them this is what Arsenal should be? It, you know, bang the table and remind them about the the badge and the passion and the this and the that and that will make everything right. I don't think that's how it works. I'm not saying that's not a uh, reasonable point of view, but I don't know that that's how you improve, right? Yeah, I mean, if you gave me the choice, I think I would err towards having someone there who, you know, that sort of like performance review discussion that Mm. we mentioned. I, I, I would really love it if I felt like there was someone at that level who could have those sorts of conversations with Arteta and Edu and really understand Mm. their day-to-day job. Um, I I think that would be really helpful. And I don't think a fan is the right person to do that. By all means, have a fan as well. But I do think someone who has the authority on those matters to really be able to assess performance, I think that matters. I think it really does. Do you think... In some ways, we're still like for all the stuff that we understand about rebuilding and yeah. things that need to be done. And Arteta has been both 
open about certain things and quite cryptic about other things that have gone on in the in the background. And if you're being really cynical, you know, when he talks about things like that after a season that we've had, is he distracting? Is he just talking about things like that so focus is taken away from performance on the pitch, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. But do you still think there's a vagueness about... Like, we all understand where we want to be or what we want to do or where we want to go as a football club, but there is no or has been no clear roadmap as to how we're going to get there. And I realize that's difficult as well. Like to say, in year one, we're going to do this. In year two, we're going to do that. And you can't lay bare all your plans publicly. But do you feel sometimes that there's still an element of us not quite knowing why or how we're doing certain things that that uh, leads really, to this yeah. insecurity about you know all of it definitely and, and listen I, any five-year plan probably can't factor in things like i don't know a, a pandemic, pandemic yeah, yeah. or yeah we're gonna have to sack the manager whatever it might be so there are reasons that those things get diverted from but i i really agree with that i really feel like um and actually, I think there is an obligation on the club to, while they don't have to communicate the sort of specific deliverables of, well, in year three, we expect to be in the Champions League. They don't have to tell us that in those terms. Mm. Um, but A, I think it's important that they do exist internally. So there is some way of kind of measuring and assessing performance and ascertaining, you know, did you achieve your goals or did you not? And therefore, mm. what are the consequences of that? But I also think it's incumbent on the club to find a way. And I I genuinely believe something Arsenal have really struggled with, to find a way to communicate what they're trying to do to mm. their supporters. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think, I've talked about this before, but, you know, Project Youth 2006, a lot of fans were unhappy about um, Arsenal not being title contenders. But there was a really clear, coherent story that Arsenal told about what they were attempting to do. Arsene Wenger was the perfect frontman for it, really, because yeah. he spoke about the financial situation. He spoke about the importance of buying young players, of you know letting them fill the potential. We need patience. We need time. We're growing. He did a, a sensational kind of comms PR job mm. and managed to kind of get people to buy into what they were doing and crucially everything Arsenal did perfectly fitted that narrative if you were over 30 you couldn't get a, more, a, a contract to Arsenal you couldn't get one it was so clear yeah. that we all accepted that as normality we were like okay that's what we're doing that's what this club is and I think the club's failure to construct an identity like that and a, mm. a, a future that fans can believe in is what leads supporters to get so frustrated because it feels yeah. so jumbled and so muddled. Yeah. But um, it's wow. a big job. I'm not saying it's easy because, you know, you might have to sell people sort of jam tomorrow, but that's the that's the position we're in. I mean, we yeah. haven't got any jam right now, Andrew. No jam. Where are hardwoods when you need them? <laughs> we're in a jam. Okay, look, we spent quite a bit of time on that. So let me move on and do yeah. uh, a question which is more in line with uh, what we were talking about a bit earlier on in terms of de-recruitment. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, what we're, what we're going to have to do this summer. So Tony Kent, who's at 2 nil down on Twitter, says, Out of all the rumoured exits, say what you think will happen to each of the below. They will stay and be integrated into next season's squad or be sold. 
So he starts with Willian. Stay or be sold. I mean, sell is. I mean, yeah, I'm going to say he'll go. I'll say he'll go. Joe Willock. Oh, I had a question about this one. I mean, it's a... Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean... Let's do it. Is the reality that Willock will be sold to raise funds like Martinez or does he need to stay for the homegrown quota? I mean, I think there are other reasons for him to stay beyond that. But what do you think? I think he'll stay. I think when you... you, Scored again, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, Joe Willock was quite a big part of the squad last season. Yeah, 40 Played a lot, 40-odd appearances. This season, not so many. Obviously did really well in the Europa League. I, I, I question whether the motivation for sending him out on loan was to simply raise his value. I think when you send a player who's been a little bit in and out, but has shown flashes of talent... I think when you send a player like that out on loan, you're looking for, like, it can go two ways. You know, good performances mean that he comes back and he develops and, you know, you get a better player or you get a more valuable player. So really it depends what, you know, what what else you've got in your squad. When it comes to midfield, I mean, you guys in Athletic are talking about uh, Xhaka leaving. Staff believe that Xhaka wants to leave. So that leaves us with what in central midfield? Thomas Partey, Mohamed Elmeny, Danny Ceballos is going. We're going to come to Torreira and Genduzi now in a moment. And I think both of them will go. So there's space for Willock, mm. for a player like Willock. So Devil's advocate. Yeah. Is it like Martinez in that this is the high point of his value? With the run he's on at Newcastle, maybe. But like, didn't, aren't people bemoaning the fact that we sold Emmy Martinez? Yeah. It's not well, like yeah, everyone's probably. going. Thank God we sold him at the the top of his value. I mean, I now. understand. I yeah. understand. Like you know, he was a, he was a player who maybe you would have got, maybe you would have got two million pounds for. He was a third mm-hmm. choice goalkeeper most of his career, and all of a sudden, in a period of a couple of months, he becomes a twenty million pound asset. And previously Leno really wasn't the biggest issue that we had I, I know there's a lot of hindsight going on with the goalkeeping thing and people going we should we sold the wrong goalkeeper nobody wanted to buy Leno he wasn't sellable Martinez was was sellable and not defending it but just I understand what happened yeah yeah but I, I think I, it was right to sell one I do think that. yeah 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 I, I I think Willock stays next season I think we don't score goals from midfield. He's gone to Newcastle. I know they play in a different way. I know he's being asked to do things slightly differently. It, you know, um, a bit of a hail. Is he a stylistic fit at Arsenal, though? That's a good question. Like, But what is our style? <laughs> well, yeah, good question. Too. So, you know, maybe, maybe next season's Arsenal is perfect for Joe Willock. We don't know. But what I would say is, what do we? I think we can see that Arteta likes a player that sort of mm. like Martin Odegaard, say, as number ten. Joe will looks very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, I re- I like you, really like Joe Willock, and I have always said wherever he goes, he'll score goals. He mm. he's just got a knife for goal, now. yeah, yeah, he does, yeah, and he can finish, so he he will score goals. Um, yeah, I would I would probably keep him too. I just think uh, if Newcastle came with silly money, like if they came with if like... anyone came with silly money, you take it. But 
Like, if they came with, like, 35 million, <laughs> Mike Ashley's going to have to sell a lot of fucking trainers. Well, that's the thing. They're not going to, are they? No. I think we sort of know. I mean, from what the conversations I've had with the Athletics Newcastle correspondent, um, he was telling me that Newcastle's idea was another year's loan. No, absolutely and not. And obviously for Arsenal, that's completely unpalatable. Yeah. Um. I think, yeah. And, and to answer your question, Torreira, Sal, Ganduzi, Sal, for me. Yeah, also. I mean, Torreira, poor guy, I don't think he's in any state to be coming back to Hertfordshire in London. Mm. Um, I don't think he wants to. And Ganduzi, that's just broken, isn't it? I mean... Mm. I mean, the, the, the reality is he's a year left on his contract. We either offer him a new one, which, yeah, which seems... isn't going to happen and no. he's not going to sign it. Why yeah. would he sign it? Why now? exactly would he sign it? Be ruthless, you sell. No two ways about it. So the next one on the list is Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Yeah, I had a question about this, actually. Yeah. Uh, George Lambry said, do you think we should consider bringing Maitland-Niles back to the team? We're in need of an athletic and mobile midfielder, and I think he could be a valuable squad member. I was really interested by Sam Allardyce's comments. Did yeah, you see me those? too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. For those who didn't see them, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, if I was Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I'd go back to Arsenal and play wherever they told me to play. <laughs> Is that sort of right? Yeah, that's exactly it. I, I wrote about it today on, on the blog if people want to have a look. Um, yeah, I mean, he said, look, he's done well for us in midfield. Uh, it's really weird that Sam Allardyce is, is making sense. He said, if I were him, I'd I play wherever the manager picked me and I'd never turn it down. Because if you're able to play in a number of positions, you're going to get more games than if you had one position and one position only. So, you know, there's a... I I really think Ainsley missed a chance to establish himself as the right back at Arsenal. Or to at least give it a really good go, you know. And maybe that door isn't 100% closed depending on what else we, we need to do this summer. Because he's got all the attributes to be a modern fullback. He really does. Um, you know, I know he played quite a lot at wingback, but he could play right back. All day long he could play right back if he put his mind to it. But he, yeah, I mean, he could have gone in January to play fullback. I think Leicester were interested. I think Southampton were interested. And the reason he chose West Brom, partly, is that he wanted to play in midfield. I mean, I think he's mad. I think he's mad. If I, 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 I think in 20 years' time, he'll be like, I could have been Arsenal's right back. What was I thinking? Well, I mean, the, the thing about but, it is, is like I could very easily now um, go on to Arsblog News and find a story from a couple of years ago where Maitland-Niles basically says he wants to be a winger. Yeah. Let me just see if I can find it. I remember it that. Yeah, 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 I remember it. Maitland-Niles, January 2019. Maitland-Niles wants to be answer to Arsenal's winger issues. He said, I'd like to be a winger. This is him quoting him, talking to Sky Sports. I'd like to be a winger. I feel comfortable there and have been playing there this season. Until the age of 16, I was a winger. I'd like to think of myself as a winger at 25 years old, starting every week for Arsenal, scoring and assisting goals. I don't feel like I'm there. I'm still young and I've got a lot of learning to do. Now he wants to be a midfielder. He wants to be a central midfield player. 
This is January 2019, so it's a couple of years yeah. ago, and things can happen in a couple of years, and you change your mind about certain things. But this is not as if it was his lifelong dream to be a central midfield player. You know what I mean? No. So he's 24 I- in August. You know, he says he's when he said that he was a bit younger, but yeah, he's entering the period of his career where he really needs to play. And like uh, playing fullback, like a winger is winger isn't quite what it used to be. It's not what it you know the the position isn't quite what it used to be because of the way the game has changed. Mm. But when you look at, I think we said this before, didn't we? When you look at the attacking license given to fullbacks by modern coaches, like fullbacks under Pep Guardiola play in a specific way, but you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, you mm, look at Robertson mm. at at, um, at Liverpool, and even the very obvious example at Arsenal, Kieran Tierney, yeah. who gets to attack and put in crosses and provide assists and score some goals from fullback. I it's think it's such a, an important position. I yeah. think he made a. I think he really should have knuckled down and tried to nail down that that fullback position. But I think I agree with you in that. I I think he's made the mistake. I think too late. I think it's done. Yeah, think I think it's, it's too late. Too late. Mm. I think so. You know, I, I think he's kind of made his bed a little bit there, and mm. I think he'll go. What do you think? I think he will probably go because, you know, he's had a decent loan spell. Um, and another one who's not going to sign a new contract at this point. Probably, yeah. You know? And he's got a couple of years left. So sell. I think he'll go. Kalasinac. Yeah. Real bummer. Schalke got rele- relegated because obviously it's a club he's got a real affinity with and they like him. Um, they can't afford him, though. They can't afford him. I I still think go, and like you, I suspect some sort of compromise will have to be reached to make that happen. Cedric. I think he... Right back's a weird one, isn't it? We've got a lot. (laughs) We've got a few. I mean, I'm pretty sure Bellerin will go. Yeah, the Bellerin is on the list here. So I think Bellerin is going to go. I think Chambers will stay. Do you think Chambers gets a new deal? Because he's got a year left on his contract. Yeah, I think he will. We touched on this in the sort of big big Arsenal piece in Athletic the other day, but I think they like Chambers and Holding and Tierney. They think they're sort of a good character group, you know? Mm. Um, So I I would edge towards him maybe getting a new deal. Tierney's definitely going to be getting one, hopefully. Mm. So (sighs) Cedric, Cedric, Cedric. I think Cedric will stay, but only because I think we won't be able to get rid of him. I, I would happily see him go. Yeah, I, I too. I don't really see a market for him. Maybe we can get rid of him. I think we should if we can, because like as a signing, it's been a waste of time, really. Well, he's played, you know. Maybe someone will take him on loan. I just think sort of it was yeah. the death knell, wasn't it, mm. that... That well, he couldn't really be used. Well, look, we played Bukayo Saka as a right wing back rather than play I know. Bellerin or Chambers or Cedric. He's now fourth choice on the right, third choice on the left because he's behind Shaka and Tierney. Yeah, I think I think it will be a signing in Chambers for that position next mm. season. Yeah, I think we will make a signing at right back. Um, who else did we have here? Lacazette. 
I saw some stuff last week about him, like, getting a year extension, but I don't know where it came from or how credible it was. I don't know. I haven't heard that myself. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's not true. Um, I think this one is quite tricky, only because it kind of depends what's on the table. Um I think I think sell. So. I think sell. So. I mean, uh, again, this is kind of what we think will happen, rather than what we would do. Okay, what we think will happen. Like I would sell. I, I would sell for sure. Yeah, I, I think he might stay. I think he might stay. Um, I think he might stay. And what? Just I see ch- out his deal. Leave on a free. Can we afford to do that? Oh, I've done it enough time in the past. I mean, well, that's the, that's the, that's the whole problem. Yeah, no, I know. I, well, what do you think will happen? He's not started the last couple of games, which I find interesting. You know. Yeah, I think we will. I think we will try and sell him. Whether we can sell him or not is another question. But I think we would be foolish as a football club to let another player see out his deal for nothing and leave for free. There's a guy we paid £50 million for, basically. So we have to try and get something back. Now, it's a question of whether they consider the goals that he might score next season more valuable than the transfer fee they can get in. And it will depend on what kind of market is out there for him. So. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter, it might have been Flanny Balls, talking about there was some analysis and research that you know investigated how many £100,000 a Premier League goal is worth, essentially. Um, so maybe there's someone at the top of Arsenal, I sincerely doubt mm. it, but kind of doing that sort of sum. You know, it, it gets to the point where if someone offers you, I don't know, £10 million for Lacazette, are you like, well, I can't, I can't replace him for that money mm. I, I mean I imagine Arteta will say I would like to keep him and I, and Edu if he's doing his job should say sorry mate mm. he's got to go yeah you know yeah I uh, yeah well look let's see I, I think we will try Bellerin we've dealt with Burned Leno I think he'll stay I think he'll stay I just I, I think he's unhappy Yeah, and we've reported that he's unhappy and he would like to go but I'm just not sure I see someone coming in at the kind of level where Arsenal would be willing to sell. Do you not also think we've got more pressing issues? Oh, I definitely think that. I definitely think that. I think Leno has had a bad run. I still think he's, I still think he's, he's decent. And I think, who was it who said this? I think it was Elliot on Arsenal Vision said something about goalkeepers are really difficult position to know what you're going to get. And I know what you mean. You can go out and buy a keeper and you can think you've got a sure thing and they make a, a, an error early doors and it's just not what you expect. You know, think of like Arsenal went and bought Richard Wright, disaster, you know, things yeah. like that. I think Leno is not perfect, but he's pretty good. And I think if you've got, in Arsenal's position, with everything else they have to attend to, mm. if they've got a pretty good goalkeeper, personally, I'd be inclined to stick. 
Um, Needs to get up I, in the box a bit more and score a few more injury time does, thumping yeah, headers, I mean, you know? That would be nice. Follow Allison's lead. I mean, even Matt Ryan's that was. chipping in with the pre assist. Yeah. What a header that was from Allison. Holy I know. shit. These Brazilians, they can play anywhere. Um, yeah, it was a great moment, that. But. Final, yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think we've got more pressing issues. Um, I think we can but probably... But he's got a contract do- situation. Yeah, that's, he's got two years. Thing. He's got two yeah. years on his contract. So it's not the... not. I mean, look, if you're going to be super, super ruthless, you'd say, okay, now is the time where we make the decision. But you can still maybe, you know, deal with it next summer when he's got a year left. Mm. Um, and if he's not happy then, he's not going to want to stick around anyway. So he'll... he'll yeah, know, and the so. caveat for all of these is if someone comes in with a really good offer, do you know what I mean? Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, but we're talking about actively working to move people on, yeah. I think. Yeah. Granite Shaka is the final one. I've got to say, Sal. You think we'll sell? Oh, Sorry, I keep thinking I'm doing it on what I would do. Mm. Um, do I think we'll sell? What makes this really hard is just not knowing if there are buyers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and how realistic it is that someone would make an offer that would be acceptable. I think if somebody came in for Shaka at the right amount, I think Arsenal would sell. I, I just have this hunch that he stayed when he didn't want to. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like he stayed, you know, for the manager basically. Mm. Um, and I think he's done his time. And I wonder if he has a sense of like, I'm leaving kind of on my terms at this point. You know, he's had probably his, one of his best seasons, I would say. Um and, and and maybe it's just the right time. I mean, but the problem is you, you talk about midfield and we're just left with very, very little there. I mean, one name you've not said is Elneny. Yeah. And I think Elneny, to, for me, you probably keep for the body, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, we. I've seen people ask if there was a question uh, from the Discord gone, from yeah. Gunnar Loths who said, how much might the African Cup of Nations affect our recruitment this summer with Partey, Pepe and Elneny all likely to go to the tournament? Uh, could say adding Basuma or another African player leave a massive gap in the squad at such an important time of the season, uh, particularly in central midfield. So, like, I've seen a lot of talk about Basuma, but, you know, if 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 three of your central midfield players are going to the African Cup of Nations in January. True. That's not good squad building. Joe Willett, one-man midfield. Yeah, tricky. Uh, Shaka. What do you think on Shaka? I think he's a difficult one. I think it I is think- difficult. I mean, I think you're right. that they're, they're, It's probably, if the right offer comes in, the right time. Because there's only so far this is going to go. It's had its ups and downs. It's, you know... I just wonder what market there is out there for him, who's going to be interested in him, and at what price. Um, my gut feeling is that 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 he'll stay. That's my yeah, gut play, feeling. Yeah, a player wanting to leave doesn't always get what they want. Yeah. You know, Hector Bellerin's a great example of that. He's wanted to go several times and, and been convinced to stay. Mm. I think, oh, yeah, it's really hard. Mm. I had something clever to say about Shaka then, but I've forgotten it. Okay. Oh, that's it. If Arsenal sell Shaka and Lacazette, it will be a big indication that they've 
learnt something because mm. those aren't. I don't think those those are sales that could be a little bit painful. Like it, they're players that it might not be. You could make a good case that they could contribute something next yeah. season for us without being like absolutely fundamental to the team. Yeah. If you're the coach of the team, you probably would like those players around next season. Mm. But if you're managing the club correctly with an eye on the future, you probably sell. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So they're they're pretty important cases and it'll be interesting to see what the club do. Um, Let's bang through a few because we've... Okay. uh, Yeah, let's lash through a few um, in the last Uh, few minutes. Daniel Carson, good morning, guys. What do you think the reaction of fans will be like when they're allowed back in on Wednesday? Of course, we all want to get behind the team, but do you think the frustrations of the season will mean a tense or uncomfortable atmosphere? Uh, well, it won't make any difference on Wednesday because it's only home fans, isn't it? So I think so at Palace, yeah. Uh, at Crystal Palace. Um, so what will the... I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I have a... Again, it's it's very difficult to speak on behalf of fans or anything like that. But I gen I feel like uh, there was a period, wasn't there, earlier in the season when we did have some fans back in, like in mm. limited limited numbers. Yeah, yeah. I went um, to a game. Yeah, and I, yeah. And I think we were going through a difficult period, but the fans in the stadium were behind the team. They were supportive of the team, and I figure they cheered Willian. Well, there you it was go. Incredible. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but. I figure it'll be something similar on Sunday, um, just because the 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 absence has been so great this season that I, I think that kind of drives the reaction to a certain extent. If we're three nil down to Brighton at half time, I'm not saying everyone's going to be clapping them off or anything like that. So. I think there'll be a good atmosphere. I think there'll be a bit of a carnival atmosphere. Mm. People will be really happy to be back in the stands. Um, there, there won't be huge stakes on the game, but yeah. I think part of that will be substantial protests or mm. chanting against the ownership. I think that that will be involved. Okay, we have got a couple of questions from the Discord. Uh, mm-hmm. We can't see the graphics, but Rambo says, these two tables show the league tables before the Chelsea game on Boxing Day. And since then, uh, uh, does this give you... Um, uh, he says, have we underestimated how much better we've been since then? And does this give you hope for an improvement next season? And Lowey133 says, what are your thoughts on the whole Premier League table since Boxing Day thing? I'm trying to get the uh, the graphics up here so I can just see them. So pre-Christmas uh, or pre-Boxing Day, if you like, we were in 15th. Um, and if you look at the table... Uh, in the games from Boxing Day onwards. And this is remarkable to me because it doesn't feel like it. If the table, and I know this is nonsense, but if the table were only looked at from Boxing Day onwards, Arsenal will be in third place mm. behind Man City and behind Manchester United with 41 points, City 57, Man United 43, Leicester in fourth on 39. So, like... What what are your thoughts on that whole since Boxing Day thing? Um, it's difficult to argue with that, actually. Like, that is a pretty remarkable change. It really doesn't I think feel I, like it, does it? No, but I think a lot of that's got to be to do with Europe, hasn't it, and the exit there. Or what came before. And what came before. I mean, ultimately, this season was defined by that dreadful run of seven games without a win in kind of November, December time. That 
is what put a ceiling on our season mm. and, you know, effectively defined what we could achieve. Um, I think it has got a bit better since then. And I would need to look at the fixtures more closely. Like I know we played Liverpool away, for example, in the first half of the season. I know we played um, United away, albeit we won there in mm. the first half of the season. I'd need to look at the fixtures and be like, has it been kinder to us? I mean, I'd point out we won at Leicester, we won at Chelsea, we won the North London derby in March. Mm. Um, we got a point at West Ham, which, who have been going well. So there have been good results in the second half of the season, as, as well as some major aberrations. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that, but I think we have to try and draw something from that. Yeah, I think here's the thing with this. I think if you are trying to look for the silver lining to this season, yeah. if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic and to hope that next season we can be better, you can say we had a really bad period, but since this point, things have been better. Mm-hmm. And that is something to hang on to and something to cling on to. The bigger picture, of course, is that you can't just look at a certain section of a season in isolation and say that's representative uh, or fully representative because ultimately it's the whole season that matters. It's not just an arbitrary cutoff point. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like saying, uh, you know, you're you're facing a team. A goal scorer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That kind of thing. Or you're playing a team and they've lost their last five games. Well, they've only won one of their last eight games or something like that. But if you were to go back a little bit further, you know, they, they might have won nine in a row or something like that, you know. So you're mm-hmm. you're creating this arbitrary cutoff point. So for me, like this part of me that wants to be encouraged and wants to be optimistic about what we can do next season and hopes that this second half of the season is genuinely a little bit more representative of who we are. And I think... You know, even those who who would um, argue against this uh, idea that, look, you can't just look at the, the table from 26th of December, would say that since then, the results and the points tallies and the, the goal difference, et cetera, et cetera, is more in line with what we expect from Arsenal. For sure. For sure. That is the, the, the level of expectation that we have for this football club. So... That's it. It just depends on on how your own brain works. But at the end of the day, the Premier League season is going to end in six days' time. We're probably going to finish eighth. That's not good enough. And regardless of what we did from December 26th onwards, what we did before that has played a substantial part in, in the underachievement of this season. Definitely. Definitely. Um I've sort of covered most of what I had because a lot of them were those player-related okay. questions that we sort of folded into. All one right, I've got, a, I've got a couple here. Uh, Matt C says, which result will be more funny to you? Chelsea losing con- consecutive finals or City not winning the Champions League despite having their best chance this year? Uh, Chelsea losing consecutive finals would be preferable to yeah. my mind. Yeah, me too. Me too. You Especially can just write off. an FA Cup final last year as well. They've yeah, already yeah. done two in two years on that front. Pretty good. First team Has to do City that since Newcastle. Things. Yeah, you can just write that care. off. Yeah. You can just write that off. Uh, JG says, he's at JM Green on uh, JM Green 87, uh, says, I have an important formal client conference call on Tuesday morning and factually know that one of the external attendees is an avid Arsecast listener. Do I start the call with goodly morning, everyone? Absolutely. 
Why not? Got yeah, because to lose. there's nothing that people enjoy more than in jokes at a, a niche audience. Yeah, exactly. That. Let me tell you, one guy's going to absolutely love it. Well, three, because we'll love it, even though we're not present. We won't be in there. Just record it. Make sure you've got the Zoom record and put it up. <laughs> um, Sam, who's at the underscore cannon, well known to you, um, says, 15 years ago, we were in Paris. There's a picture. There's a picture of you there, James, with your hair, all Flowing of locks, your hair. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. Look at you. It's You're like stunning, actually. Carlos Valderrama crossed with Michael Bolton. It's Very amazing. much so. He says, do you think we'll reach that stage again in the next 15 years? I'll check back in 2036. And there we are, outside Kitty O'Shea's in Paris, playing football. Very fun day until the game. Mm. Um, well, until the last 10 minutes of the game, really. Um, I, I don't hold out much hope that we'll be there in the next 15 years, but it's perfectly possible. If you told me 15 years ago where we'd be now, I probably wouldn't believe you. So That's true. All things are possible. Um, it doesn't feel imminent. Let's be clear about that. Mm. But football's weird, isn't it? Football's weird and there are peaks and troughs. Yeah. And Arsenal are a big club. The You know, you have to hope they'll come again. I think they will. Final one from Australian, who's at Australians, who says, now that Bojack Horseman has finished, what series do you both recommend to get away from football until the transfer mill starts grinding again, if it ever stops? So any recommendations? Good question. I've actually been watching, it's on Netflix, but it's an ITV show. It's called Unforgotten. And it's about um, a very grumpy uh, policewoman who investigates cases of sort of dead bodies, from like 20 years ago. Cold cases. Like, cold cases, yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you seen it? No. It's quite good. It's quite well written, actually. Mm. I was surprised. It made me think, oh, maybe there's good stuff on ITV and I've just never seen it. But um, that's what I've been watching. What about you? I've been watching this thing called The Expanse. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, it's space thing. So basically, there's like three factions. There's Earth... Mars, which has been terraformed and all kinds of stuff. And then there's the these people called the Belters, who are like the workers and the kind of, I, I guess, like the, how would you put it? The sort of working class of the space universe, whatever, yeah, you yeah, know, they're yeah. put on. And it's quite good. It is quite good. It's a bit spacey. It's a bit exciting. There's some shooties and lasers and uh, this. It's got shooties. Shooties, yeah. Shooty things. Oh, <laughs> nice. Pew, 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 pew. Oh, I'm interested. But also, the Belters talk yeah. in this really weird kind of accent. Right. What What would you compare it to on Earth? I, I'm pretty sure that they've based it on Hector Bellerin. <laughs> Hector okay. Bellerin's kind of Cockney Spanish accent. Right. I've got to be like this, man. Talking be like Hector. And then it's, I love like this my whole life. So they all talk. They all talk a bit like Hector Bellerin. So there's maybe a, he's from space. Wow, that would explain a lot from the future. That would explain all those fashions that we just can't get our heads around. Exactly, it's and Duriger sort of, in like twenty seven forty three, whatever it is, and all his apocalyptic warnings about the environment. Yeah, he knows. He knows. My voice is just completely giving up at the end of this podcast. God. Well, look, we've been going a while, so I think we should probably Maybe just call it quits. It. 
Anyway, yeah, we've overdone it. You know, you've listen. You've been out of action for a couple of weeks, I know. and you've just I had to do practice. ninety minutes and ex- extra time. Full ninety minutes and extra time. I know. I'm not letting you take in it. at the deep end. Not letting you take. I've a gone down, though. clutching yeah. my larynx, <laughs> making the substitution <laughs> side with my hands. All right. Well, look, we will leave it there as ever. Thank you very much indeed for being here. Thanks for listening. We will be previewing the Crystal Palace game for Patreon members tomorrow. We'll have a podcast uh, for you there over on Patreon. In the meantime, mind yourselves, take it easy, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.